Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Scrubbed In Show. I hope you've all been keeping well. This week we have with us another incredible guest. We have with us Dr. Janak joining us, who is a director at KPMG involved in digital health transformation and has also authored an incredible book about unlocking the potential of AI um, in healthcare. He does have a clinical background experience in the corporate sector and consultancy, so a lot to cover. Um, absolute pleasure having you on the show today, Janak. How are you? Hi, Abdul. Uh, hi, Ams. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm doing well. Um, hope you are too. And uh, thanks for inviting me to be on the podcast. No worries. I know you are in a very different place in your career to where you started off, but we want to take it all the way to the very beginning. Tell us you know, a bit more about your motivation to study medicine, the motivation to become a clinician and kind of bring us up to speed. Sure. Um, yeah, happy to do that. So just in terms of a bit of background about uh, my career and where I'm, I am now. So um, I've been working in healthcare for more than 17 years. Um, I started off my working life as a, a doctor in the NHS um, and I left clinical practice back in 2008. And over the sort of 14 years since leaving clinical practice, I've done a variety of things within healthcare. This includes working for uh, large and SME management consulting firms, uh, freelancing as a consultant, working in operational roles, uh, and also mm -hmm. for a health tech startup in London. I got interested in technology and startups while doing my MBA and getting involved in the Cambridge ecosystem. In 2017, I co-founded a, a niche AI consulting startup based out of Sri Lanka. Mm -hmm. Over the last four or five years, I've been more focused on the digital and data side of healthcare. And as part of that, last year, I completed a master's degree in data science. Uh, and as you mentioned, I published a book um, mm -hmm. about AI in healthcare, which explores the potential of AI in healthcare, um, challenges to successful implementation and how to do things better. Um, I'm now a director at KPMG, where I lead our health data and analytics uh, work in the UK. And thinking back in terms of the motivation to study medicine and, and become a doctor, I grew up uh, and went to school in Sri Lanka. Mm -hmm. And being a doctor was one of those things, along with being an engineer or a lawyer, that everybody aspires to be, especially if you're doing reasonably well academically in school. Uh, my mom uh, was a doctor, so although she didn't actively push me into that career, um, I think it probably had some level of influence. And generally, I wanted to help people and, and thought medicine was a, a quite a cool way of, of, of doing so. In terms of um, kind of transitioning then from medicine into consulting, yeah, um, yeah. so my, my personality is such that I, I like a lot of variety in the, in the work I do. And in Sri Lanka, medicine is, is quite a general and varied career. So even if you're specialize or become a surgeon, there's still a amount of general work that you do. Whereas uh, in the UK, when I started med school, I kind of quickly realized how specialized uh, things were. And mm. at that time, I was kind of um, interested in becoming a um, cardiothoracic surgeon. And and what I realized was that, you know, if I became that, I would, it would mean sort of focusing on one of the four valves in the heart. Yeah. So I, I found that quite... Uh, um, an interesting sort of uh, trajectory it, it just wasn't for me personally and and I wanted to kind of finish my training to a stage where it made sense and it kind of I had choice to come back if um, yeah if I needed to so uh, I finished my foundation year trainings I didn't really know what I wanted to do so uh, I looked around and talked to some people and I thought I'd give um, consulting a go 
and mm. I joined um, Accenture um, and, and their graduate scheme in August 2008. Um, and as you can imagine, it was kind of an interesting time to go into the commercial world. It's kind of on the back of the financial crisis, etc. Yeah. A lot of things going on. There's a you know, number of redundancies and, and work was slower than normal. So although I wanted to explore other industries apart from healthcare, I ended up working on a um, healthcare project and kind of have been in healthcare ever since. So ever in since. hindsight, you know, it was absolutely the right decision to do. And I, I love healthcare and I love the NHS. I just needed to find the right thing to do within it. Yeah. No, that's very interesting. Ams also wanted to become a cardiothoracic surgeon um, before kind of delving into the creator economy, starting his own startup. Um, tell us a bit about kind of the role you were doing as a consultant in that time, which was a very difficult period for the world on a, on a global scale. And despite the difficulty, what was it that made you stick around in the world of kind of a non-clinical role? Yeah, so I think... Um... One of the one of the key things, um, as I mentioned earlier on, was my kind of need for the work to be varied. And what mm. I found with with consulting and the kind of roles I was doing is that there was always opportunity for me to try things out. You know, whether that's kind of a a technology role or, or more of a kind of a strategy or, or advisory role. So I had the opportunity to kind of um, do different things every few months. So it it kept my curiosity alive and it kept me engaged from that perspective. Mm. And I think the, the other element um, was that I found that, you know, um, consulting was a way that you could um, have a bigger impact than uh, in some ways in clinical practice where you're focused on a smaller group of pe people where uh, with, with certain roles within consulting, you, you, could, you could do things and you could um, implement solutions and, and help people uh, at, at a slightly larger scale, which is also uh, attractive. And I think mm -hmm. finally, um, you know, uh, Accenture was a, was a great place to start my career. I, I met a, a, a number of great people and, and, and learned a lot. So from a skills and capability perspective, I was, I was learning something new every day and and looking back you know i learned a lot of uh, really good sort of foundational skills that's um, really helped me uh, until today janak a question here so we've talked a little bit about consult uh, consultancy and we've had other clinicians turn consultants on this podcast i just wanted to ask so you you mentioned that you did a bit of freelance consulting for companies as well that's the first i've come across where you've done it solo and on your own Tell us a little bit what that involves and then what is it, what's, what's the difference between when you do it on your own versus with a company? Yeah, so um, there was a period of time when after doing my MBA, I, I did some freelance consulting work, So, um, which effectively means, um, as you say, um, working by yourself and, and taking on sort of um, contract roles to go and help uh, another consulting firm or a, another organization with, with a with a project for a, a sort of a defined period of time, mm. um, and I think um, again after after my uh, MBA, I was um, I guess not hundred percent sure what exactly I wanted to do. So I wanted a, mm. a bit of flexibility in terms of being able to sort of um, try different things and 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 have some flexibility in, in the type of work I did and and who I work for, and also it was a time I um, had quite. Um, my, my kids were very well uh, my son was very young so it also gave me a little bit of flexibility in terms of uh, working a little bit more from home uh, etc so I think those two things kind of um, 
drove me to kind of look at that. Um, and I think obviously, you know, it has um, those kind of positives. Uh, and obviously on the flip side, you know, there's always the kind of, uh, it, it's not as secure as um, having a full-time job. Uh, and I think also what I found towards end, sort of end of my time doing that was I, I missed being kind of part of a team and, and uh, you know, um, part of organization helping build something. So there's mm. always sort of uh, positives, negatives to anything. But uh, yeah, it, it kind of uh, was really useful and I enjoyed the work I did at that time. Mm. T- tell us a bit more about the transition to then take the leadership role in this digital health company, Mindway Ventures. You were the operating officer and then became CEO, which is obviously a different skill set to what you're doing as a freelancer, what you're doing in Accenture. Tell us how the opportunity came about and kind of what the role entailed and how you kind of did within that. Sure. Um, so since kind of doing my MBA, my interest in startups and, and, and sort of technology generally had, had sort of grown. So um, while I was doing my MBA, I got involved in that sort of whole startup ecosystem in Cambridge, got involved with sort of advising startups and, and also kind of tried a few things uh, of, of my own in terms of just sort of understanding what, what those things were like. So I had always kind of um, had this curiosity or, or kind of desire to try what it try what it would be like to to work in a startup so that that was one one big motivation and um i had met the um founder uh, some time before before i joined the company and and he had a kumar had a really interesting background he had worked in the video gaming industry and had this vision of applying some of those principles around focusing on users and, and their needs and building solutions around that to healthcare. Um, and they were at that stage where they needed um, sort of my skill set to um, kind of do some things and scale up. So uh, it, it was a perfect opportunity to kind of, um, you know, join a startup and, 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 and a company that I believe was uh, doing some important work. And, mm-hmm. you know, we were doing a bunch of work based around East-centered design, helping um, healthcare organizations explore challenges and and then co-design and co-develop digital health solutions with users. And mm-hmm. we were also developing our own product, which was a um, open source patient health record, which uh, enabled users to access their medical records, add to it, and share it with healthcare professionals and family. And, you know, looking back at that time, I, I think there was, you know, a very kind of a transformative time for me. From a functional perspective, I, I learned a lot of new skills from, you know, the kind of user-centered research, digital health. And because we ha- had a, a large technology team working with us to build products, that was the kind of first real experience I had of sort of end-to-end designing, building and implementing and rolling out a digital health solution. And mm. from a leadership perspective, especially when I was CEO, um, it's quite scary because, you know, you feel um, um, in that position, you feel quite exposed and and you, you do need to be aware of things that you're good at and, and see how you can maximize that. And you also need to be aware of things that perhaps you were, you're not as good as naturally and then see how you can work with your mentors and wider team to kind of uh, mitigate those things that you're not good at and, and, and sort of make make the best of the team team around you. Um, so yeah, it, it was a it's a really kind of interesting and um, uh, sort of transformative time f- for me personally. And I think one of the biggest lessons I learned when I was 
when I was at Mindwave and, and during doing those roles is the kind of importance of team buy-in, uh, by mm. which I mean, how do you, as a leader, how do you set the vision so it's clear to everybody where the organization and where you want the organization to be heading and how to tell that story uh, with the kind of real why behind it so that everybody can um, understand, believe uh, in it and can be excited by it. Because especially in teams where, you know, especially actually outside in consulting, the team can be a very, um, very varied mix of people with uh, different personalities from all walks of life and different levels and different uh, things that motivate them when it comes to work and careers. So team buy-in becomes even more important in these scenarios. And and that particular skill set, which, you know, I'm continuing to refine, has um, uh, been a really important thing as I sort of went on to different roles and uh, uh, kind of progressed up different organizations. Hmm. I think you're probably one of the first few guests that mentioned about the importance of having a team buy-in. A lot of people talk about leadership, listening, vision and guidance. Tell us, and I, and I think it is actually very important, tell us the things other founders or other CEOs can do to encourage the team buy-in? You know, what were the things that you found to be successful? Yeah, sure, Abdul. Um, so I think um, one of the key things is to, you know, for example, you you as a CEO or you as a founder or you as a leader in the organization probably have a very clear view, okay, you know, this is where the organization needs to go. And, you know, I'm really passionate about it because of these reasons. So you need to be able to sort of explain that in a way that, the team um, kind of a understands why it's important and also sometimes customize it a little bit depending on who you're talking to so that you can you can align it with what they you know that they're interested in and they're motivated in right because you know you may be really interested in in the vision of a company or where what you want to do with the product because you know that's always what you wanted to do but that's not necessarily going to excite everybody in your team and not everybody's mm. going to buy into that but they may be really interested in the impact that's going to have on patient outcomes or you know it might really help them uh you know learn a particular skill or, or kind of grow in their role so it kind of really depends on on you know what individuals are looking for and what their motivation so i think to be able to a clearly you know articulate that vision and to be able to sort of tell the story to the team in a way that actually is meaningful to them is I think one of the, um, one of the key things in, in getting team buy-in, right? And I think on a more practical level, when it comes to kind of delivery of, 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 of your vision, it's about sort of um, organizing your team, giving them kind of roles and responsibilities that A, align to what they want to do, and also is kind of respective of, of their talents and, and their capabilities is also, um, I found really, really important um, because, you know, you can't, you can't do everything uh, by yourself and you need to really make sure that you um, give the team opportunities, but in a supported way um, and actually, you know, uh, take the team along with you on that journey. I think that's, that's very interesting. And thank you for sharing those tips. On that point, right, of giving people responsibility, letting them exercise their talents, right? Now, as a founder, you'll find that the company feels like it's your baby, right? You want to look after it, you want to do everything for it, but you have to delegate some things. How do you delegate a task, yet make sure it's done to the best of its sort of quality without stepping on the person's toes? So you've got someone really talented, they want to take it really far, 
but you need to also sort of make sure it's still going in the right direction. How do you do that? Yeah, it's a good question. And, and uh, you know, it's something that um, I've often sort of grappled with in, in consulting roles, not just in, you know, kind of startup mm. world. Uh, and also it, it uh, probably doubly difficult because um, often I can be uh, quite a perfectionist. So, you know, it's always like, oh, I, I, I want to do this because I know that, you know, um, I'll, I'll do it just the way I wanted to. Uh, may not be the best way, but at least I can do it the way, the way I want to. So, so it's always a balance, right? And it's something that I've worked on um, personally over the years, which is to kind mm. of find the right balance in terms of, um, you know, giving people opportunity, uh, making sure they have the the right skills, and you coach them and you support them, uh, and then also having um, the right level of um, check-ins. You know, to make sure that things are going well that you know they're comfortable with where things are going and, and also to an extent you're comfortable with where things are heading um so that mm. you know you can gradually push people as you go along rather than you know um give them sort of too much leeway and then you know things don't go quite the way and you have to kind of um kind of course correct yeah. later on which which can be a little more messier so i think it's just finding the right balance between you know giving people space opportunity support um and then mm. having a level of sort of um dialogue and and, and check in to make sure things are going uh, well because the reality is and you know you you don't want to be like um the sort of single um sort of bottleneck in in, in mm. making things happen within your company especially mm. as you as you scale up or as you grow you have to you have to um you know rely on your team to um help you and i think you know having that culture of, of sort of giving responsibility and trusting people to do stuff um helps because then you almost you know have your your kind of immediate team around you and then they do the same thing with with their team and you can kind of mm. um mm multiply that onwards so yeah it's not easy it's a balance and and sometimes you have to do a bit of trial and error to find out like you know what works and what you're comfortable with i think different people will have different uh, uh different sort of um kind of levels of um control versus um, mm. uh, space absolutely. Mm. Definitely. absolutely and tell us a bit more about conscient ai you know you are analyst consulting then in chief executive positions and then co-founding an ai company of your own tell us a bit more about that transition and kind of advice to other people that are building an ai because you know it's such a hot topic i know ai has been around for a while but it seems to have been catching a buzz how has that experience been for you and any advice you can share to other founders yeah sure so again, it, it came um, about from my sort of time during my MBA where I was kind of interested and in starting to get more involved in, in startups, not not mm. my own. Um, and uh, as I mentioned, I, I grew up in, in Sri Lanka and had sort of family. Um, I still have family back back there. Mm. So I've always kind of maintained close ties um, with, with Sri Lanka and I, I visit often. Um, and during that time after my MBA, um, I kind of, tried a few things in terms of few few projects and had loads of conversations with uh, people that are active within the startup ecosystem in, in Sri Lanka. Um, and, you know, during one of those conversations and, and, and sort of chance meetings, I, um, I came across uh, CD, uh, one of my co-founders, and we, we had some good conversations uh, about, 
you know, AI, which is, um, and, and some of the things he wanted to um, do with it. And we, we got on really well. Um, and I was excited to set up something with him and, and mm. uh, his uh, uh, other sort of co-founder, uh, Samira. And so, so that's how we, it got started, not, not necessarily by design. Um, of course. But, you know, we, we, we met and I think we got along and, you know, it was interesting what he wanted to do. Um, and I guess, you know, that, that's how it got started. So um, I, I guess in terms of um, kind of tips in terms of startups and, and founders, I think uh, one of the key things is to kind of kind of figure out what, what problem you're trying to solve and, and make sure that, you know, whatever you're trying to do, um, it, it kind of has that kind of product uh, market fit. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think the second thing related to that is, is kind of be flexible and, 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 and ready to pivot. Um, when, uh, we kind of set up Conscient long time ago, we were, we were more focused on, on developing a, a product. Um, but then, you know, um, along the way, we, we realized there's a lot of value we can add from a sort of a more of a services perspective and helping other companies, um, kind of develop their own, um, kind of AI products or AI, um, sort of solutions to uh, meet their challenges. So we kind of pivoted along to that and, uh, and that's been sort of successful on the back of that. And I think going back to some of the other things we discussed about the the team and buy-in, mm. I think, you know, especially when it's a startup, you know, it's, 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 it depends so, so much on that that core team, how you can get, get on with each other and, and supplement and, and complement each other's skill set. And as you grow, um, it's about creating that culture that, kind of embodies that values of the business that you set up so you can scale efficiently without diluting the core values so you know you get all those tensions about you know oh it was previously three people you know now it's 10 or whatever like you know how do you make sure that new people um kind of do the things to the same quality or with the same passion that you do so there's some groundwork to be done around you know um how do you set up that culture from the beginning uh to make sure as you scale that you know that that kind of original vision and, and the values that y- you have are, are kind of transmitted along um, um, with the with the kind of newer newer joinees. Having done kind of the entrepreneurial stuff, exec, what kind of made you go back into the industry again? So you know you're one of the directors, kind of at the health data informatics and analytics at KPMG. Tell us a bit more about that transition and what you do in that role, because sometimes we hear these titles and roles, but a lot of clinicians don't really understand what it is. Like, what are you doing on a day-to-day basis or what does the role look like? Yeah, I was, um, I was thinking about this the uh, other day. So actually, first of all, um, as it happens, the, the timing worked out really well. Um, I mm-hmm. was um, getting towards the end of my master's uh, in data science. I was I was um, wrapping up my my book um, and I was sort of really interested on the, on the back of both those things to focus more on the health data uh, side of things. Um, and KPMG uh, was looking for somebody to, to come in and, and kind of help lead the, and, and grow the health data and analytics um, business and the team. So that, that was one thing, kind of a, a timing thing. And mm. I think, um, secondly, I think a lot of the things I've, uh, I've done in my uh, quite varied career, I think, um, from you know consulting to operational roles to startup roles has mm. kind of provided me with um, skills and experience that made me a really good fit for that particular um, role at KPMG, um, both in terms of, you know, kind of the core consulting skills I had picked up 
in kind of large consulting firms, small firms, and, and also freelancing, and also mm. from the kind of a health tech and, and data skills perspective um, that help uh, with some specific elements of the role, which I can tell you a little bit more about. Um, it was a really, really good fit. So the kind of timing and the fit of the role, um, and I've always enjoyed the kind of um, the va the variation and the kind of um, intellectual stimulation that you get from consulting roles. Um, you know, all those things put together uh, made made the kind of uh, the role and transition back into consulting uh, kind of a really, really good one for me. Um, and in terms of you asked me like what what I do um, in my role at KPMG. So, so in the um, data and analytics space, we um, focus on three areas really. There's the first area is about helping clients think about how to make the best use of their data uh, and to develop an associated data strategy to realize the benefits and improve um, citizen outcomes. So there's, you know, been a lot of national policies, um, whether that's kind of data saves lives, gold acre report, and, and a lot of uh, national initiatives around, uh, you know, whether that's you know, the federated data platform or secure data environments. And it's important for like uh, integrated care systems and, and um, NHS trusts uh, to really understand how all of this fits together and what it means for them at a local level. So we work mm. with the kind of integrated care systems and trusts help them understand this better and, and how data can help them deliver their overarching kind of corporate or, or organizational strategies. And, and that includes kind of developing prioritized roadmaps of key initiatives that they need to implement to get from where they are now to where they want to be. So that's the kind of first bit, which is more a traditional um, sort of consulting or advisory work. Um, the second um, area is around implementation. So a lot of the NHS trust still rely on what are called descriptive analytics, where the mm. focus is on analyzing events that have occurred in the past. So, for example, it could be like, you know, maybe looking at a um, PowerPoint presentation or kind of a PDF report of like, you know, length of stay from three, four weeks ago. And, mm. and then due to challenges in kind of bringing together cleansing and, and managing data, some of these data, you know, is, is quite old. Um, and also, you know, there are some sometimes issues with the quality of the data, etc. So my experience is that, you know, apart from a few organizations that are leading the way, you know, for many, the focus should be on getting some of these fundamentals right. So that could mm. be around data governance or data infrastructure, for example, uh, you know, transitioning on to modern data platforms. So another important area right now is is developing the capability of the workforce to equip, equip them with the skills and confidence and the ability to kind of adopt a different mindset that is needed. So we work with organizations through our unique analytics learning program to help um, them develop both technical and non-technical skills to mm -hmm. better equip them for this kind of evolving data and technology landscape in the NHS. And for them to effectively enable um, some of the national initiatives like intelligence functions at a integrated care uh, system level, which is more about focusing uh, on taking a population health management approach to taking care of patients. So that's the kind of second area, which is more around implementation, translation of that, some of that data strategy and um, advisory work. The third area is a, is a really unique one and um, one that I find really interesting. And this is where 
we identify a, a common problem that our that our clients face, and we develop a, a repeatable solution. You know, is effectively a product that we can deploy mm. quickly to help. So, for example, we've developed a great product that helps um, hospitals with their strategic workforce planning, which helps them understand their current baseline, uh, but also do some scenario planning to understand uh, what their demand might be in the future and and what mm. that has in terms of impact on their um, workforce, uh, what, what the gaps are and you know what, what it means in terms of uh, recruitment, retirement, retention, etc. And it also helps them understand some of the costs associated with these changes and what, what they need to do to uh, potentially plug these gaps. <laughs> and uh, we are no, we're now kind of developing a number of other products, for example, um, to help organizations better manage their patient pathways and, and to help them um, make operational and patient safety improvements uh, more efficiently. So this third area is, is something, uh, you know, quite unique uh, in consulting firms. And, you know, my varied uh, experience of, you know, working in startups and, you know, working yeah. in digital health solution development actually really helped me mm. uh, fit in quite nicely with that third element. Mm-hmm. I can definitely see how it lends itself to the new role. Derek, so in this, so a lot of your projects and what you do involves a lot of interaction engagement with the healthcare um, sort of uh, providers, the NHS, hospitals, I imagine, GPs, I imagine, right, companies, I imagine. Now, we have a lot of listeners who are clinicians who are looking to sort of start to engage on sort of systems and processes at that sort of level. Um, At what touch points are clinicians valuable for you? um, And where can they get involved in sort of feeding back to you so you can have that sort of um, collaborative sort of approach to building these products and handling data and moving forward with the times, basically. Yeah, um, it's a good question. Um, so I think it, um, there's probably two two elements to it. So um, we do have a, um, a large community of um, clinicians within KPMG from um, you know different different sort of medical nursing and allied mm. health professional uh, pharma pharmacy background. So. Um, you know, when we are, um, whenever we are kind of thinking about um, solving a problem for our clients or coming up with a new solution, we we tend to work closely with um, you know our, our internal community first to to make sure that we mm. we involve them and we get the experiences that they have. Um, and I think um, our approach to um, developing products um, has and always will be um, taking very much of a co-developing approach with the NHS um, mm-hmm. in terms of um, making sure that we we work with them to really, really understand, you know, what problems they're having, whether that's a, you know, operational issue or, or an issue f- uh, from a clinical perspective on the front line. So, for example, in, in that situation, we would want to engage with uh, the users that are actually having those problems to really, really understand, you know, what the problem is, what actually, what actual impact that has on their, you know, clinical work in terms of workload or, or kind of additional mm. issues that it causes them, and then we would work mm. with them to, uh, you know, come up with a solution and and to test and iterate some of the ideas and and, and solutions we have. Uh, a just to make, you know, to make sure that you know it, it'll actually work in that environment. And I think mm. B um, is also to, to make sure we bring them along the journey with us to to make sure we have their have their buy-in and support because you know success of a product in the on the front line you know really really needs yeah a 
for it to actually solve the problem without causing additional problems or kind of knock-on effects somewhere else, but also, you know, clinical champions and, and, and uh, you know, uh, champions in operational perspective to kind of uh, help um, with the kind of implementation side of things. So, so yeah, whichever way we, you know, uh, kind of, whether it's a product or whether it's a, a project, um, you know, we, we tend to take a very kind of a user-focused way of, uh, in terms of, uh, the identifying problem and then working with um, the salute, uh, kind of clinicians and, and other operational and, and you know, non-operational staff to, um, you know, make sure we, we, we get, we understand the problem properly and then we come up with a solution that's actually going to work. No, absolutely, definitely. And that's very reassuring to, to hear. And it makes sense to have this co-developing collaborative approach. The, the one thing I do want to touch on, which is slightly different to, the career path many people have taken with you is tell us a bit more about publishing a book you know you don't often hear people in this world publish a book about you know they might write a newsletter they might write a blog how come you went ahead and you know published a whole book yeah um again i think it wasn't necessarily um kind of planned to happen exactly like that i think i've always kind of uh been intrigued by the idea of you know what would it like be like to to publish a book? And as mm. I um, got into my uh, masters, and I you know kind of was um, working in the the space of AI and startups, um, you know I was um, getting more and more involved in um, that space. And you know one of the things I was um, seeing was that you know there was obviously a lot of excitement mm. uh, about AI um, uh, in terms of you know okay what it could do and you know how it could help um sort of improve healthcare operations and patient outcomes but the reality was you know if you looked on the if i if i kind of looked on the on the ground on the, on, on the core phase there wasn't many um kind of um ai solutions that were yeah kind of uh, deployed at scale making an impact so i was curious to kind of see well okay you know is there is there real potential or is it is it all hype uh, but and if there is potential, you know, what, why is that potential not translating to um, yeah. sort of scale impact at scale um, on, on on the front line? So that that's sort of why uh, what got me thinking. And I nice. had a few conversations, and I kind of had a look around. I think you know, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of sort of good publications and reports and and, and books. Um, but I felt like you know a lot of them covered part of part of the puzzle, and and some of it was uh, uh, more theoretical and kind of quite um, sort of academically peer-reviewed papers, etc. Yeah. So, um, I was interested in in sort of the more practical uh, implementation side of things. So um, I wanted to kind of um, explore that from a sort of a pragmatic perspective, and and also kind of talk to a lot of people who have gone through some of those experiences and uh, could tell me like. You know what, what the kind of reality was. So I, I wanted to write some a book that took a more kind of a implementation uh, approach and 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 sort of uh, look at some of the real life examples of uh, startup founders, um, you know, mm. founders and and you know people that work in the NHS, you know, frontline staff as well mm. as sort of um, you know operational management staff. So that's how I kind of um, almost fell fell into it. Uh, it was kind of again good timing because you know I was kind of already doing stuff within that space and thinking about that, uh, those things. So I already were talking to the kind of right people that I needed to to have access to, to kind of uh, yeah. write a sensible book. So uh, yeah, that, that, that's how it got started. And, and you know, I think, um, you know, kind of went from there. It was uh, 
it was a uh, it was a lot of hard work and uh, yeah. um you know um especially when i was um because i kind of did it while i was doing the the masters but i think you know the uh, my my kind of rationale was you know because i was already in that my head was already in that space it kind of made sense it kind of you know do 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 yeah. it in parallel. Yeah. Um, and yeah it was it was a you know it was, it was hard work but you know really uh, enjoyed it and in hindsight i'm, I'm really really glad um you know I, I did it it's kind of uh you know um enabled me to you know go and have follow-on conversations and you know obviously you know mm. be on this podcast and you know others yeah, like of course i think it, yeah it, it gives you know gives me an opportunity to kind of share share my insights from the book and hope you know hopefully yeah and helpful no definitely conscious of time the last question i had was there's a theme of you a lot of opportunities came your way and you took those opportunities and you ran with them a lot of people have lots of opportunities but they they stick to their day job they kind of go for that you know the career that's already set for them whereas you've had lots of different opportunities you always seem to be at the right place at the right time so i think the last question to kind of wrap this up will be your advice on how do you increase the surface area for opportunities what can you do to get the opportunities that you have been fortunate enough to get in your career yeah um, that's a really good question so um yeah i think um there's a couple of things right so um i, I mean sadly uh, a lot of medics come up to me these days um you know uh, either linkedin or yeah. events and say look you know um not really happy either with clinical practice you know um i want to leave what you know what what, yeah. what do i need to do right so it's, it's sad because you know I, you know it's not what it should be like and um, i think in terms of thinking about alternative careers and and like you know as you say like kind of uh, making the most of opportunities that that come to you um i think you know it's it's about sort of the the um kind of outlook you have right so i think you got to you got to be open and and open to sort of our ideas and and new things but if that's easier said than done and i think it's it's then the way to make that easier is to mm. actually take your time to explore um and and go and you know talk to people and and what i say almost is like you know and and there's a lot more opportunity to do that now uh, compared to when i left medicine 14 years ago where you know that was still a, a quite a rare thing to do so i think there's a lot more opportunity these days to kind of double effectively right yeah. like, you know yeah. volunteer with a startup you know do a few um days here and there you know kind of to build out a portfolio career um so i think it's hard to like know necessarily like if you know at first stop like oh you know medicine is not clinical practice is not for me i want to go and do exactly this other thing yeah so i think what i always say is like you know take take the time to explore it's you know there's probably no right answer you know you probably don't know it no, mm. you know, no other person probably can tell you what it is either so you know take the time to explore um as i say dabble um you know tr- try a few different things out and there's you know lots of opportunity and lots of kind of ways of of doing that and i think then think about like um you know what what elements of clinical practice do you like um and which bits do you not like as much because you know surprisingly and and hindsight is always a wonderful thing and you know when i look back there's lots of things i learned as a fi1 or fi2 i i didn't really think much of at that time but you can kind of reflect back and say oh actually that's when i really started to think about you know um problem solving or just <laughs> how i learned how to prioritize things you know you don't think about it when you're doing it and i think sometimes in when you're doing clinical medicine you often don't 
not very good at sort of stepping out of your role and thinking, okay, yeah. well, transferable thing. So I think that something is really worthwhile doing because one of the other things that will come out of that is for you to start thinking about, okay, these are the elements I like within clinical practice and these are the transferable things. So if I'm looking for another role, is it that I need to do something different within clinical practice or mm. do I, you know, do I kind of still keep doing some of the clinical practice that I enjoy doing, but then supplement that with a, a non-clinical role that actually means that I get to do more of the things that um, yeah. you know I, I don't currently enjoy or get a chance to do within clinical practice. Because, you know, I was reading an article one of my friends wrote recently, uh, actually on uh, Mustafa, who who wrote an article for, for you guys recently. And, you know, he was talking about the fact that, you know, just because you're in health tech doesn't mean that, you know, you, you you'll be coding right and and i guess yeah. you know, on a similar vein that you know just because you're doing consultancy doesn't mean you're working mm. with spreadsheets all the time you know so there's kind of like things that you need to kind of go beyond the kind of um or the stereotypes or kind of get really un good understanding of, of the variety that yeah it's like clinical medicine and then kind of really figure out what you know what you want to do and i think the final thing i would say um you know i left at a time very early on in my career i think what i find is that um you know, as you um, become, as you're later in your career, you know, you, you there's always a balance of risk and reward, right? So like for me yeah. to do that FI2, it was like, you know, if it didn't work out, I, you know, I could come back and it didn't have a massive financial impact for me or anything like that. So I think as you, as you become, you know, uh, more progressed in your career, there's, there's more considerations, right? Because you might have a family or you might have a mortgage, et cetera. So those things do, um, you know, you have to take those things into account as well, because, uh, you know, you got to be, you got to be pragmatic and you got to be sensitive about decisions uh, you make as well. So, you know, that's the other kind of thing to consider. Um, but, you know, coming back to your kind of original question, I think, hmm. you know, have open mind, um, explore the opportunities so you know, you know, what, what the, um, you know, what, what the kind of spectrum of opportunities hmm. are, and then really spend some time figuring out like what you like, what you don't like as much and you know what what are the things you can transfer out of your um, experience so far because that'll help you figure out you know what, what um, you know what could work for you because you know you might not get it first time around and you might have to try things out and you know um, kind of um, you know figure out almost like a, a stage transition if you like no definitely thank you for, yeah. for sharing that advice and I think you're a very good example of opportunities doing lots of different things and you know there's a whole world outside of clinical medicine being a doctor being a, a, a clinician so um we want to thank you janet for taking the time out to kind of share your story share kind of those pivots those transitions um and uh, thank you to our listeners as always for tuning in every week thanks both for having me on the podcast